0: Okay, today I want to tell you a little bit about a roommate I had named Aaron Walsh. Aaron was from New Zealand, and he became one of my best friends from about the ages of 21 to 23. And I'm going to tell you three things about Aaron so that you can know a bit about him. The first is that Aaron absolutely loved New Zealand. Everywhere he went, he would talk about his home country and about how New Zealand was the best place ever. And he was so infectious with his love for New Zealand that even now I'm, I feel like I've got to get to New Zealand to see what he was talking about. The second thing you need to know about Aaron is that he had an unhealthy obsession with lamb. No matter where we were what we were doing, he'd be thinking about eating lamb. Sometimes we'd be watching TV and he would just turn to me and he'd go, Oh, lamb, beautiful piece of meat, gorgeous. i was like, why are, we, why are you talking about lamb? But it was Aaron, that's who he was. And the third thing, and I would say probably the most important thing about Aaron, is he used to have this phrase that he would say all the time. He would say, I am blessed so that I can bless others. I am blessed so that I can bless others. Now, I had loads of roommates throughout uh, my years of being single, and I noticed that a lot of roommates sometimes were different behind closed doors than maybe you thought they were before you lived with them. But Aaron was a guy who was the same behind closed doors as he was out in public, because he really lived this saying, I am blessed so that I can bless others. And that phrase maybe wouldn't have stuck with me, except I saw the way Aaron treated other people. He'd have people around all the time to eat at our house. He was always encouraging people in their faith. And I saw it as such an important thing of value that he had that he actually lived out. And maybe that would have been a big deal to me, But the biggest reason that I still have that phrase within my heart, I am blessed so that I can bless others, is that Aaron touched my life with it. He wasn't someone that was above me or discipling me. In fact, we were peers. I was the best man in his wedding. But what I noticed about Aaron is that a lot of times when he would notice where I was at, sometimes he would sit down with me and we would talk about faith or talk about what I was going through. And there are also several times where I was low on money and never said anything, but Aaron kind of seemed to pick up on it and would invite me out to lunch and take me out to, to eat with him. These are really important things. And so it reverberated in my heart this, I'm blessed so that I can bless others. You see, Aaron, though, wasn't some sort of genius. He wasn't just some guy from New Zealand that had uh, uh, the biggest wisdom. You see, Aaron loved the Lord and he looked to Scripture And this idea of being blessed to bless others is service. And all throughout our scripture, we see Jesus encouraging us to be servants, and it's what we're going to look at today. I think, and before we really get into this text, though, we have to understand the broader context and life and times to which Jesus was speaking. Because now, even today in our world, we can say, well, it's important that you, you know, it's our leadership model is an upside down triangle. You know, we say things like that where we are the leader serves the mass. You know, we get these things, but not so in Jesus' day. Certainly not in Rome was anyone having humility in their leadership or seeing themselves as a leader or having authority in order to bless and care for others around them we also see that within the religious system of the day and the religious leaders, their authority was so that they could do it on the backs of others underneath them. This was what, this context of leadership and authority in Jesus' day. You had power so that you could keep others below you. You had power so that you could take care of yourself at the cost of others. That was the context. That is what everyone knew. So when Jesus speaks about being a servant, about a leader, about someone with authority serving, it would have been revolutionary. It would reverberate. It would have sounded odd and different. It would have been cultural changing. So, what we want to see today as we look at the scripture, we want to see how, as Jesus talks to us about service, it is a revolution of how we see God and it is a revolution of how we see ourselves. A revolution of how we see God. And a revolution of how we see ourselves in service. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your scripture now, we ask, Father, that you would have this revolution happen in our own lives. A revolution of seeing your life, the way that you lived, change us as a model. And we give you our lives today and ask that you would bless us so that we can bless others. Amen. Okay, so um, open your Bibles if you have one. Um, there should be the seats in front of you to page 988. We're in Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20. 2020. So even though our reading starts at verse 20, in order to kind of get the full picture of what's happening here, we need to kind of look back to verse 17. And what Jesus is doing is uh, we see a shift in where he's going and how he's operating see we've been going through the book of matthew and we've seen jesus teaching and kind of laying out his perspective on how to live life we've seen him healing people and talking about the kingdom but now in verse 17 we see here he says now jesus was going up to jerusalem and this is a shift for jesus because jesus knows that in jerusalem he's going to die He has a clear idea of his purpose and where he is going. He knows that Jerusalem is the place of his death and his resurrection. He's clear about that. But his disciples still don't know. So as he gets closer to this cross experience, as he gets closer to this pain and punishment, he begins to reveal to his disciples more about who he is and his purposes. So we can see in 17 to 19 that he's very clear with his disciples. He says, listen, here's the deal, guys. This is the third time I'm telling you this now. I'm going up to Jerusalem to die. I will be handed over, I will be crucified, and I will rise again. Now for us, because we know the whole story, this is really clear, isn't it? You think, well, well, he does do that. We've got the other chapters in the Bible. We know for sure that's what happens. But for his disciples, we have to see that they're still in this kingdom-making mode. They still think Jesus is going to come and bring forth a new government and a new authority. But with this death language, maybe they're saying, maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something about a kingdom in the other life. So with this in mind, we have James and John walking up to Jesus with their mother. And she kind of doesn't get it. And that's okay. Jesus isn't really mad at her, but she kind of says, All right, Jesus, you're going to die how about you take care of my boys, huh? How about in the afterlife? I don't know why I'm using that accent. That's probably not how she sounded, but it, it feels to me like that's how she would have talked. Take care of my boys, huh? I got John and James, take care of them. Look after them. And that's how she sounded, okay. And she doesn't quite get it. She says, if you're not gonna be here just in this life, if you're not gonna set up a kingdom here, surely take care of my family in another life. Set your kingdom up. Put them in places of power, because we know you love them. And Jesus says you're still not really getting it. You're still not really getting it. And the verses that come to follow, we see Jesus pointing to a different way and a way of service. And he actually points back to who he is, which actually shows us who God is. And this is the revelation, the revolution. So three things that we see in his response to this question from John and James' mother. We see his first question, his first um, question back is, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? And this might seem odd, but this cup that he's referring to would have linked in their minds back to Isaiah. And is talking about the cup of God's wrath. You see, Jesus is a suffering servant. And he knows where he's going and what he's going to do. And he knows that suffering is in his future. In fact, we can think of the same cup in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's crying out, Lord, Take this cup from me. This is so different than the leaders of that day that would have seen leadership as something that would have protected them from pain and suffering. And yet, we have a God who's willing to step into life. And the thing is, Jesus, this is what's interesting, he doesn't suffer for his own sins or his own deeds, he suffers for our sins. This is the ultimate act of servanthood. He goes to that cross as an act of servanthood. He suffers for the crimes of other people. He lays down his life, a ransom for many. This is so different than the view that maybe they would have seen God as. As the God who came with smoke on in the Old Testament on top of mountains. Or was hidden behind a veil in the temple. Now we have Jesus coming into life and walking, getting dirt under his fingernails, and ultimately going and being the suffering servant. Again, this is what we kind of are comfortable with, what we know about Jesus, but this is revolutionary in the idea of who God is. So he's the suffering servant. And as we go back through the scripture, Jesus says, Listen, John and James, can you drink this cup? And they will. Because as a model, they also will go and be martyrs. James will and John will be suffering as he is exiled onto an island. But then he says, but here's the deal. I can't give you that seat. Because I can only give you, that is for my father. And this is the second thing we see about Jesus. Is that he is the following servant. Now I saw today, because it is Father's Day. I saw today that 94% this is something I saw on uh, YouTube or something today 94% of teenagers will go to a YouTube video before advice from their father so happy Father's Day guys Uh, they're not really listening to us no that's a bit hard but today I was thinking about that and I was going to preach on this I was like oh that's a bit harsh that's not that doesn't feel so good as a dad and I was uh, going out to my, I have a little man cave, a little man shed that I go to. Um, and I was going to look over my, my sermon. And I said to my son, Will, who's four, four and a half, I said, Will, I'm going to go out to my man cave. If you need me, just knock on the door and I can help you out. Yeah? I said, this is because mommy slips stairs. And he says, Daddy, if I need to know about the world, I'll knock on your door. And for me, it was like the best Father's Day gift. Because it feels like that's kind of what a father wants to do, is kind of interpret the world For a son. Yeah? And that's what we see kind of Jesus doing as well. Is that he does it even though he has power and authority. Even though he's in charge and he understands. He only does what he sees the father doing. Jesus doesn't move and act, heal and preach on his own authority. He does it because he sees the father doing it. You see Jesus is a model for being connected spiritually. He didn't actually serve the pain of the world. He served the Father who understood the world. He just did what the Father was doing. In the same way, we are called to look to Jesus, to look to the Father who tells us how we should live our lives. But I think if we look at this, there's a bigger ramification too with Jesus looking to the Father. I think if we step back a little bit, there's... um, an interesting vision that we can have here. You see, we have, a, we have God who sent the Holy Spirit in order to tell us about Jesus. And Jesus reveals God. See, within the Trinity, we have service. The Holy Spirit loves Jesus. Jesus loves God. God loves the Holy Spirit. They love one another and they serve each other. In fact, we could say that in God, before time, there was service. That they were looking to serve and care for one another. God is innately a God of service. So as he, before the creation of the world, as he steps in and creates the world and creates humanity, he creates us like himself. Meaning that within our bones, within the fabric of who we were meant to be, is service. When we are operating at our best, we are serving. And it's actually the twisting of sin, the twisting of our nature, that says that humanity is about getting... Everything for ourselves at the cost of others. That's the twisting of humanity. At our best, we are called to be like the creator who is one who serves. So we see God as one who is the suffering servant. And we also see him as the following servant. But as we move down scriptures, we see that he's not talking to his disciples. And in verses 26 to 28, he says, listen, here's the deal. He says, the religious leaders, they love their bit of power, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to come, whoever wants to become great among you, must be your servant. And whoever wants wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So we have Jesus introducing a paradox. If you want to be a big deal, serve. If you want to be number one, then become nothing. This doesn't seem really kind of to fit together until we look at Jesus. Because Jesus is our model for this paradox of greatness fitting together with service. Because Jesus is the greatest servant. At the same time he is servant, he is also king. And we see it in the language here as well. He's pointing back here to the Old Testament. In verse 28, he says, just as the Son of Man. Now, maybe that phrase doesn't mean a lot to us, but to his hearers, it would have set lights off. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. And what he's talking about is a verse in Daniel, chapter 7. I'm going to read this to you. You don't have to go there. This is Daniel, chapter 7, speaking of Jesus before he came. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus is clear as he's going to Jerusalem to lay down his life in the service of others, that he is also king. He is the one who will receive all wisdom and authority, whose dominion and kingdom will not pass away. All tribes and and languages, all people will come and worship Jesus. Because you see, he is the greatest servant, and he is also number one. Jesus is the servant king. And this is the paradox we have to have in our own minds about Jesus. If we see him as just a king who lords his authority over us and is just one of a, you know one in the clouds, we miss something. But if we see Jesus as one who is just a servant, one who comes and helps us when we're in need, and he just is a you know he's a really helpful guy, we miss something too. Jesus is the servant king. He is at both interest in our lives, caring about us making a way for us to have a personal relationship with God, but he's also in control. He's also powerful, he has authority, and he rules and reigns. This is Jesus coming together. The servant king. So we see these thoughts, that maybe things that we've kind of heard in church, but for them, for the disciples, it would have opened their eyes to see that Jesus is one who is a suffering servant. To see Jesus who is one who is a following servant and to see Jesus as the one who is the greatest servant. So what does this do for us? What does it do for the disciples? Well, I think ultimately, this is a revolution of our calling. When I was in my 20s, I spent a lot of time wondering what I should be doing. All the time I was saying, God, what should I do? Who should I be? What should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? It was constantly on my mind. I want to do the right thing. And it occurred to me somewhere in my early 30s that Jesus seems to be more about not what we do, but who we are. And our calling is not to just use our hands, but our calling is to be right in our heart. You see, the fact is, is that we are called not just to do service, but to be service. We are called, our calling is to think and act. Like servants. And this affects our identity as well. We aren't people that go and say, Oh, this Sunday I'm going to do a service project. All that we are comes from our heart. We are servants. This changes us as individuals. It changes us as we go into our lives, whether it's university or work or uh, taking care of the kids or retirement. Whatever the thing is that we do, we're called to be servants. We're called to go out and live listening to Jesus, being blessed, listening to the Father so that we can bless others. That is our calling and identity. But furthermore, if we step back just a little bit, it's for us as individuals, but it's also for us as a church, meaning larger than HTC, meaning Church of England or Church within England or in the world. The thing is that we are in a state where all the numbers look like we're on the decline, In the world, or at least in England, and our resources are less. And the language seems to be, how can we get back to those glory days where people were in the peas again? And I think that our decline is the biggest blessing we have, because it makes us ask, who are we? Do we exist as a church just to satisfy ourselves, just to make ourselves feel good, or are we called to be a servant church for this world? To live outside of these walls, caring for the needs of this world. I'll tell you what, this week there's been loads of dark stuff all over the news. And it's hard to even think about how to act. But it makes sense when we see that we are called to serve. The church is called to be out in the world loving, loving, loving. That is who we are. So I want to get practical here as I close up here. Because I've talked a lot about, you know, kind of how we see God. And I've talked about how this is a revolution for us in our lives as well. But what do we do on a Monday morning? Well, I want to make it really simple. Yeah? I want you to wake up. And I want you to pray. Yeah? And I want you to pray a different prayer. I don't want you to say, God, help me become a servant. I want you to say, God, here I am, your servant. You are already his servant. Here I am. Today I seek to serve you. And I want you to pray this prayer. God, help me to be blessed in order to bless others. Let that be your prayer. Let that work inside of you. In the same way it did when I saw Aaron influence me. That you would feel the blessing of the Lord in your life. But it would cause you to bless others around you. And to serve them. Amen.